Welcome to Him We Proclaim, a podcast devoted to the preaching ministry of the Mount Church. Know that the following sermon is specifically intended to build up our local church in Clemson, South Carolina. Feel free to listen along and distribute what you hear, while prioritizing what we pray is the faithful preaching ministry of the healthy local church to which you meaningfully belong. With that, all grace to you as you listen to this episode of Him We Proclaim. Morning. This morning we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, we invite you there. We're going to be reading and then studying together verses 15 through 21. So Galatians 2. Verses 15 through 21. So the Apostle Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, beginning in verse 15, he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness or justification were through the law, Then Christ died for no purpose. It is glorious and thick. So, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for these verses, for what they teach us, how they counsel us. But we need more than just these glorious words on a page, and we certainly need more 
than this poor man attempting to preach them. We need you to teach our hearts. So please come, and through the preaching of your word, give the kind of counsel that only you can give. Speak to the hearts of the people the truth of the gospel. For the glory of Christ, we ask it. Amen. So friend, why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? Seems a question a child might ask. Or really anyone who's given a moment's consideration to the soul's most pressing need? Why was the suffering of Jesus necessary? Why must He have done all that He did? For what reason did Jesus set His face like flint, not just to Jerusalem, but ultimately outside of Jerusalem, to the tree? What is the purpose of the cross? What is the purpose of Christ and Him crucified? Do you know this morning? We need to know. And we need to know because the entire world lives by a terrible and blinded assumption that Jesus died for nothing. And I say the entire world because opposite Christianity, no matter how sinful a person may be, that person tends to live by faith. It's just not faith in Jesus Christ. It's faith in their own righteousness. It's faith that their righteousness, their goodness, which they really don't have at all, is actually enough to suffice with God at the last day. You go and talk to some, and it's like that never occurred to them that Jesus had to die. Or that He died at all. And still less, that He died for people like them. The cross was unnecessary. God sent His Son to die for no good purpose at all. Or so it would seem. And that is why the reason or the purpose of Christ crucified, has to be so very clear for you and me. Because what if it wasn't for Paul? You recall from a couple weeks ago, we saw this with Peter, it's not out of our reach as Christians to live in ways that contradict the truth of the cross. You and I can act as if Christ died for no purpose. You start rebuilding what the gospel has torn down, like a self-righteousness that makes the saving faith of other people less than a faith that saves them. We do that. You and I, we nullify Christ and Him crucified. So, do we know why Jesus had to die? Are our lips and our living, are they deconstructing the truth of the gospel? 
Or are they solidifying the truth of the gospel for a world of sinners who so desperately need it? Are our lips and our lives solidifying the truth of justification for the inquisitive child? For the pricked conscience? For the erring leader like Peter? For the disconsolate sheep like all those Christians in Antioch? Do our lips and our lives confirm Christ and Him crucified sufficiently saves every single person who believes? Let's come to our text. And likely the main assertion of the letter in verses 15 and 16, and it's this, if any one person will be justified, it will be through faith in Jesus Christ. So, seeming to still be handling what he said to the Jewish Christians in Antioch, and Peter in particular, Paul admits here, in these first couple of verses, he admits a difference between them and the Gentile Christians. He says, we ourselves, in verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So he admits a difference there. They are not Gentiles. And, as that's the case, they probably did not sin in the way that lawless people do. They didn't sin like Gentiles might. But does that then mean that they, as Jewish people, are not still sinners in their own right? Admitting its advantages, has their being Jewish, ethnically, made them any more justifiable or any more justified than any other human being in the sight of God? Or are they also entirely dependent on the work of Jesus Christ? You see, we do this really weird thing. Here's the weird thing. We get cleaned up by Christ. Not before Christ, but by Christ. He really changes us. And as He does, over time we can forget just how sinful we really were. And how much we need to wrestle still to keep from relapsing into our former darkness, our former depths. And in that forgetfulness, we're tempted to count ourselves more justifiable, more justified than those more obviously sinful than we now suppose ourselves to be. We know more. We think better. We took a theology class. We're supremely articulate. We've lived new life longer. We're churched. We're educated. We're equipped. We're the faithful. And we've always been like that. But these, not so much. They're not like us. They've been converted out of the slums so that to mix with them is to risk what? Slumming it. Now that's a far cry from the one who sent his son into the world to invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame off the streets 
and the lanes and the highways and the hedges, slumming sinners out of the spiritual slums to fill His heavenly house. Isn't it? There is a reason Jesus told the definitive teacher of Israel, that great Jewish man, Nicodemus, you must be born, not Jewish, you must be born again. Otherwise, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And why is that? Because however distinct Nicodemus was from the serially adulterous woman of Samaria, John 3, John 4, they had one unavoidable reality in common. You ready? They were people. And as people, they were sinners, both of them. And as sinners, we all are born without the ability to justify ourselves before God. Law-keeping cannot save us because we do not and cannot keep the law as it's meant by God to be kept. So, Paul says to Peter, all the rest here, whether they're Jewish or Gentile, quote, yet we know that a, what's he say? A person, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you and I know that? Do we know, as he repeats, the end of verse 16, that by works of the law, now hear it, please hear it. By works of the law, no one, you're someone, no one will be justified. Not one person. Now, dear ones, listen, that's coming from the mouth of a man who in another place says without hesitation or blushing that he was blameless under the law. He says, if anyone thinks they have reason to boast that I'm so good and I've done so much and I can justify myself, anyone thinks they have reason to boast in their own fleshly confidence, what's Paul say? I have more. <laughs> what a thing to say. I have more. So the chief of sinners was also, in another sense, lawyer supreme. Law-abiding citizen. Supreme. So far as a natural man can be, Paul was the most moral man in the history of the world. And this 
is the one who now says, by works of the law, no one will be justified. So what happened? Here's what happened. Galatians chapter 1 happened. God revealed His Son to me. Paul met Jesus. And there is no meeting the risen Jesus in the soul, but the most naturally blameless person ever, Paul, seeing him, Jesus, sees, I've got it all wrong my entire life. I am not enough. I'm actually the chief of sinners. I've never kept the spirit of the law. The heart of the law. It's not that I've obeyed some here, but not there. It's not that I've obeyed this command, but not that, as if that could be good enough. It's not. It's that I've never obeyed God really and truly at all. I'm guilty. I deserve condemnation. And there's nothing at all that I can do about it. Friends, as we're going to see in chapter 3, verse 10, and chapter 5, verse 3, God demands of us what He made Adam to be before sin entered the world. Literal perfection. Morally flawless. That's the demand. Morally flawless before the perfection of divine holiness. God demands of us the wholehearted obedience He confirmed one time with one person when He raised Jesus from the dead. That's what He demands of you. A divine righteousness. A perfect obedience. If you don't have that, and none of us, having sinned one time, have that. We're in trouble. We're outside of heaven. And we cannot get in. In ourselves. And we need to feel that. So, theoretically, there are two paths to standing before the judge of all as righteous enough for eternal life. One is perfect, personal obedience to God, which, as sinners, is a dead end. The other, which is the only, is by the grace God gives through faith in the person and work of Jesus. You can rely on your works or... 
You can rely on the work of Jesus, which again is the only one that God's commended by raising him from the dead. You may remember this in John chapter 6. Some of you were around when we were in John chapter 6. The people asked Jesus, Jesus, what must we be doing to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answers them, believe. And that's it. Believe in Him whom God has sent. You do that, it's enough. How does that work? It works like this. Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life free from any sin. And as it says in our passage, He gave this life. He gave this life. He gave His life as a substitute on the cross for you and me. Right there, as Galatians is going to bear out, we need to understand this, this is at the heart of the gospel, okay? Our sins, our sins were counted to Jesus on the cross so that He bore the judgment we deserved on account of our sins. And then having quenched the hell that our sins had accrued, Jesus died. And then He was buried. And on the third day, God raised Him up to say, here is a righteousness. Christ, as Jonathan read for us, is that righteousness. A person is that righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. He alone satisfies the demand. For heaven. Nothing we might do can turn God's righteous frown upside down. God's smile is fixed on one person, Jesus. And this is the good news then for sinners like us. That even as our sins can be counted to Him for pardon, forgiveness, Jesus' obedience can be counted to us as our very own righteousness before God. What an exchange. As Paul says, through faith, in Jesus Christ, a person is justified. And again, he says here in our passage, they all know this. They all know this. They all have believed in Jesus. Full stop to be justified. Of course, the issue that we saw a couple weeks ago is, if only they had acted. If only they had acted according to the truth that they know and believe. If only they had acted as if they needed Jesus as much as any other sinner. If only they had acted as if Jesus was all anyone needed to be justified with God. So, question as we move ahead is, is that at the roots of our table fellowship? We are justified by faith. 
in Christ alone. Is that the root of our community? Is that what you hear in our preaching from Sunday to Sunday? Is that how we evangelize people? Or is it, yeah, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also got to do some things too. If you do those things, then you'll really be justified. Is that how we present it, whether we say it like that or not? Or is it just Christ is enough? Turn from your sins, believe in Him, He will justify you. He will be your righteousness. Is that the roots of our living our lives? Is that the roots of our reproving one another? Can we reprove one another in grace? And can we be reproved graciously? Or do we think it's an indictment against our standing with God? Hmm. Is the gospel truth of justification clear with us? If any one person will be justified, it will be through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, next. Every sinner God has justified. He is also, word alert, Rachel Twitty has been taking a running log of all these words that I say that no one understands, but I'm going to do it anyway, okay? Every sinner God's justified. He is also vivified. There you go, vivified in Jesus. There has never been a sinner justified, but they've also been vitally united to Jesus Christ. And this is vital to understand because... Wherever the truth of justification by grace has been preached, Pharisees rise up and take issue. And however unfounded, as Paul will show, that seems to be the underlying issue here. So you see Paul says, starting in verse 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? It seems to be an accusation that's being levied against what Paul's just asserted about how a person, how a sinner can be justified with God. And as I understand it, there's a truth in it, and there is an error in it. The truth is, in establishing that a sinner is fully and freely justified with God, never by works, but only and entirely through faith in Jesus Christ, we fully and freely confess something, don't we? What do we confess? We confess we are sinners that could never save ourselves. All that is true. But then, here's where people who believe you got to earn it a little bit, this is where they go wrong. They think, if Christ is all our righteousness, if He alone is the sinner's justification, Doesn't that seem to justify all the more sinning? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? 
Yes, that's where we're going. If I can't contribute any righteousness to my justification and yet I'm still declared righteous, why not just go on sinning as before? So they mistake Christian liberty for sinful license and prove they don't get all that Christ really has done for us. In fact, again, they say a justification that would set aside the law for grace makes Christ a servant of sin. That's what the opponents are saying. That's what that crew from James kind of accused Peter of showing. You're slumming it, Peter. You've got to get back to the law. Be holy. That's what Peter implicitly indicted the Gentiles for by his hypocrisy. You're not being holy. You're not keeping the law. The law makes holy. Without it, you have no hope with God. And it's right there that Paul puts his foot firmly on the throat of that kind of gospel distortion. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Now do it. May it never be. Certainly not. <laughs> on the contrary, on the contrary, verse 18, I think this is how this is working together. It's if I rebuild what I tore down, that I then prove myself to be a transgressor. That is, if Paul stole any part of our salvation away from grace and gave it to the law, it's then that he would be trafficking in sin. It's then that he would be transgressing the will of God. Just think on this. The moment you begin to add anything as completing the work of Jesus, the moment you begin to rebuild what God gave His Son to tear down, the moment you begin to propagate faith plus works, grace plus law, His cross plus my capabilities. Do this and you will live with God. It's then that you're sinning and propagating sin. How so? We can count the ways, but it's basically this. In rebuilding a law-based way, a works-based way, to any degree of relating to God, you're tearing down the way that God is revealed in Jesus Christ. You're tearing down Christ and Him crucified. That's what Paul's going to say to end our passage. You're draining the cross of its divine sufficiency. And for what? Human pride. I've got to have something to do with my own salvation. I've got to play some part in being justified with God. Pride. We can't stand it. And so we put on these shackles, complete with weights, 
called the law. It stirs up rivalry. I'm better than you. Do more than you. So on and so forth. And then because you don't measure up, or because maybe you are ahead of the game, but you don't measure up to Jesus, you begin despairing. I'll never be able to relate with God. My relationship is always messed up. Because you're trusting in yourself. And so you become embittered. And you become angry. What's happening? More sinning. It's not Christ that serves sin. It's sin in us. Making use of of God's good law to produce more sinning. And until that reality is changed, until sin's dominion in us is broken once and for all, you can be as religious as you want to be. But you will not know the godliness that Christ actually serves. If you return to food laws, as in our text, if you return to food laws for your acceptance with God, if you begin to equate your sanctification, which is so what? Just up and down and left and right and this way and that. It's crazy sometimes. should have that steady grade, right? Towards glory. But it's just wild. Our growing is sporadic. You begin to equate your sanctification with your rock-solid justification so that they rise and fall together. You're going to destroy both of them. And that's why Paul gives us his Lazarus moment. That's why he tells us, verses 19 and 20, what happened to him when, as we've seen, God was pleased to reveal His Son to Paul. And what I want you to hear is that this isn't just what happened to Paul, but Christian, this is what happened to you. Paul's conversion is the paradigm for every Christian. The reason Paul refuses to rebuild a works-based, law-based righteousness for justification and for sanctification is because, if you look at verse 19, now going into verse 20, through the law, I died. (laughs) So weird to say. We'll come to it. Through the law, I died. To the law, so that I might live to God. Law keeping is not the way to live to God. Crazy thing for a former Pharisee to say. I have been crucified with Christ. And we'll just hold there and ask the obvious Was Paul? literally crucified with Jesus. 
take some mighty long nails, some sturdy wood. Did the nails pierce Paul's hands and feet? And if not, what is he talking about? That he has been crucified with Christ. He's talking about what happened at his conversion. He's talking about the power of the grace of union with Jesus. In that heavenly event, the old Paul, Paul in Adam, Paul under wrath, Paul who lived zealously for observing every jot and tittle of the law of God, believing his obedience would merit him favor with God, that Paul died. That Paul suddenly saw, I've never kept the law at all. I mean, I I thought I observed it, when all the while, I gravely misunderstood. The law was never meant for self-salvation. It was ever meant to prove me a sinner, incapable of saving myself. In truth, the law condemns me. It binds me and it takes me justly to the place of everlasting execution. And yet, As it does, it leads me kindly against what I deserve to a crucified man. And the astounding sight is is really strange. For the man is me. And yet not me. It's Christ crucified for me. It's Christ crucified as me. It's Christ crucified in my place. And so through the law, I died to the law as in any way meriting me a place with God. So that a new me, a new I, might live to God. We'll come to that momentarily. But just receive this. When you were born again, and you were like, oh, I love Jesus. What happened first of all? You died. You died. Who you were, died. Without having to experience it yourself. Or ever. Your former self was executed for all your sins on the cross 
in the person of Jesus, crucified. The person that relied on everything but Jesus for acceptance with God, that person, that sinner, united then to Jesus, died never to rise as such again. I call this his uh, Lazarus moment. When Lazarus was called forth by Jesus, the dead man lived. And his grave clothes had to be, what? Put off. Something that was not there just moments before was now racing, coursing through every fiber of Lazarus's being. We call it life. And it's the same thing spiritually. Now, let's not lose Paul's focus. He's saying, at his conversion, he died to the law as a way of living to God. Indeed, the law led him that way. It led him to Christ for righteousness. It led him to Christ for life. So, as that's the case, why would we ever go back to the law for either of those things? Righteousness or life. Would that not be to abandon Christ and Him crucified? Let's continue. What about living to God? What about living to God? What about that new Paul? What about that new creation? What about that new you, Christian? Here's how Paul now explains the resurrection side of I have been crucified with Christ. He says, it is no longer I who live. You want to complete it? It's glorious. But Christ who lives in me. Is that not astounding? This is remarkable. If that doesn't put a burning inside of your heart for Jesus, oh man. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Not the law, not myself, in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Church, listen. Conversion is not one miracle. It's a succession of palpable miracles. Here, there was a change in ownership at the very operation center of your being. The old crucified you gave way, passed away to the risen Christ in you. The change is so radical, Paul can say, it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. So it's still Paul. It's the same man, but it's a new man. It's a new man, new creation. It's what we call a Christian. It's a person with Jesus at the helm of the heart. His person directing, animating, 
captivating, remaking your person after the image of his own. Luke and I were talking the other day. He'd been playing some basketball around some unsavory young fellows. We're at the gym. And he asked me. (laughs) He said, were you like that? When you were young, were you like that? Cussing and doing all the things. And I had the joy of saying, I was. Did you hear me? I was. And for a long while, I was. I did all the things that sinners do. Believing all the things that lost church folk do. Until God was pleased to reveal His Son to me and in me. And then, by grace, at the core, I was new. I was changed. As with Paul, my life no longer started with I. If you're a Christian, you need to understand that. Your life no longer starts with I. That dominates our world. Individuality. Individualism. Me. We come out of the womb like that. I don't care about anything else. Just give me my ice cream. Whatever. My life is no longer starting with I. I died. I was crucified with Christ in the moment of my conversion. So that my life now starts and persists and closes with Jesus. Christ lives in me. It's a life lived, as Paul says in verse 20, by faith in the Son of God. It's interesting to note then that the law and the Messiah do the very same thing. They both point us to the Messiah. Christian, Jesus lives in you to lead you to lean on Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus should be then obvious in you. So can I have you see the qualifiers Paul gives into verse 20? He lives by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. In those words... Paul says his life consists in trusting a person who loved Paul personally and gave himself on everything we know the cross to be for Paul personally. So Paul no longer lives this self-reliant, self-focused, despairing life at least not with any good reason. 
How can he? Is it not spectacular to discover that knowing all that there is to know about you? Oh, what a, what a frightening thought. That this person knows everything there is to know about you. Your spouse doesn't even know everything there is to know about you. There's something so awful, you've kept them from them. But Christ knows it all. And still, this most magnificent person in all creation has loved you. How can I be sure of that? Very simple. He gave himself for you. It's the cross. And you're a Christian, if you are a Christian, because you have been made to see by grace that Jesus did that, not just for humanity in mass, not just for humanity in general, but for you, personally. He did that for Hannah Donnelly. He did that for Nick Kirshner. He did that for Miss Rita. You see? He gave himself for your sins. Not just the world's, yours. To deliver you. It's so very personal. Jesus loved you. Jesus died for you. Jesus was revealed in you. Jesus lives in you. And that is why justification by grace does not make Christ a servant of sin. Every sinner he justifies, Rachel Twitty, check me on the, the word here, he also vivifies. Okay. And so we come to see in verse 21 that justification, as Paul holds it, upholds the purpose of the cross. His case so far is that as sinners, we're justified through faith in Christ apart from works of the law. And that far from leading the justified to sin on, the risen Christ lives in you to recreate you in His own image. And as this then is all by grace, Paul takes his stand in verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So, if you say, I'm a good person. I believe that. Or you tell someone, you know what? You're a good person. Trust that. Or, honestly, you're kind of an awful person. So, yes, believe in Jesus, but really, just be better. Just be better. Go to church, say your prayers, give alms, watch your company. And God will favor you more than the next person. 
Or, tell you what, I'll see your faith in Christ and raise you a certain view of the ordinances. Or, a certain view of the end times. Or, a certain view of the order of salvation. Or, some worthy cause. Or, politics. Or, food laws. Your diet. I'll raise you all that. you got to do that if you would ever be a true and proper heir of God like me. You say things like that, what you're saying is, God's grace is null and void. And Jesus died for nothing. As a Christian, can you even imagine suggesting something like that? And yet the great apostle Peter just did. Can you imagine suggesting that what Peter personally saw of the Son of God loving him and giving himself for him, of Jesus, his greatest friend, coming into the world, living the life he lived, doing all he did, going to trial, going to the tree, and saying there on the tree what he said, and suffering all he must, and enduring all he suffered, and finishing that work, dying Peter's death, only to rise again. Can you imagine saying, it was all pointless? All purposeless. Again, in Paul's words, may it never be. Certainly not. And so you come to the end of Galatians and you get Paul's resolve. Far be it from me to boast. Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he knows that God has committed his purpose for the world. And for His people. To have His glory in the sinner's salvation, He's committed all that entirely to His Son and to the cross of His Son. And so any intrusion of our works upon His cross invalidates His work. When friends, His cross purposes to say, it's actually our works that are invalid. They don't measure up. Good news, Jesus has done it all. And it is enough to justify all who believe in Him. So friend, nothing is more necessary than the cross of Christ. Indeed, if you want to know God, it's Christ and Him crucified. If you want to know yourself, it's Christ and Him crucified. You want to attest to love? What is love? It's Christ and Him crucified. You want to stand before God's justice and not fall? You long to be justified before God, have eternal life? Your only hope is Christ and Him crucified. 
His work is available to you. So won't you repent of your works? They're only sin. And receive His through faith. And you will be saved. Beloved, as Paul says in our passage, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. What a sermon in itself for your soul today. What a refuge. Won't you take rest in that? Christ did not die for nothing. When He loved you and gave Himself for you, Jesus really, sufficiently, everlastingly justified you. So, don't nullify such grace. But in your thinking, and in your speaking, and in your living, Peter, uphold the purpose of the cross. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And we do ask now that You would continue to preach Yourself into every heart on the basis of this glorious passage. We ask it for the salvation of souls, for the consolation of souls, and for Your great glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.